Well, hi friends. My name's Rowan. I'm one of the pastors here at Auckland EV. If God is good and he's in control of this world, then why is our world in so much pain? It's one of the most heartfelt and authentic questions that I ever get asked as a Christian. And you haven't got to open your eyes for long to work out that our world is suffering. Sickness and death and pain are everywhere. Do you know 10% of workers in New Zealand are employed in healthcare? That means one out of every 10 people are employed to try and maintain or fix our health. And if it's not sickness, it's disaster. And if it's not disaster, it's terror. I mean, the last three months have made this incredibly clear, haven't they? The entire world is in some form of lockdown because of our body's response to a tiny virus. If it's not sickness, it's the hurt of broken relationships, the loss of financial security or greed and evil bearing their ugly heads. I mean, surely... This isn't the way the world's meant to be. So what does Christianity have to say about the brokenness of our world? Well, you've joined us in the second week on our series called What Christians Actually Believe. And last week we saw the first and foundational building block of what Christians believe when we met our maker. There is a God, is the Bible's claim. He made the world and it was good. And he made you and me for his purpose, for relationship with him. We were made to live his way, and that was for our good. And because of that, no matter what we think of him, he is the right ruler of the universe, the one we are all responsible to. Understanding that fact is incredibly important because if we don't comprehend the first building block of what Christians believe, we won't be able to make sense of why the world is broken. You see, if it wasn't made to be good, then you and I have got no purpose. We've got no grounds to complain about how the world is. It just is. But what I I want to show you today is this isn't the way God made the world to be. And the dissatisfaction we experience when sickness and pain and death and brokenness comes shows us that none of us think this is how it's supposed to be either. Something's gone wrong. Now, there's all sorts of theories about what's gone wrong with the world. A lack of education, lack of equal opportunity, too many laws, not enough laws. There's no end to the theories of what's wrong with the world. You can go to any bookshop and find shelves and shelves claiming to have the answer. But the answer isn't found in the bookshop. It's found in the bathroom mirror. See, the problem with the world is me and you. Let me show you uh, what went wrong. In Genesis chapter 3, we get to hear about the account of our rebellion against God. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? For the first time ever, there was a reason to doubt the goodness of God. Revelation 12 tells us this serpent was Satan himself. That tells us that Satan is part of God's creation, a created being who's turned bad. He's called the the father of all lies because lying is what he does best. Did God really say? See, Satan doesn't want to celebrate the goodness of God. While God plants vegetation on the face of the earth for our goodness, Satan plants lies, prompting us to doubt the goodness of our God and his rule. Satan puts God's motives on trial. And it's true, isn't it, that behind every rejection of God's plan lies the doubt that God is not good. He doesn't have our best interests at heart. This is not the best thing for me. 
See, every time I reject God's ways, it's because I think I know better. I think my way is better than God's way. And so Eve, the pinnacle of God's creation, allows herself to listen to a voice she shouldn't have listened to. The conversation should have ended right there, but it didn't. She replies in verse two, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, if you look back, that's not exactly what God said. There's an addition here in adding to the word of God. He did say, don't eat it, but not that you couldn't touch it. And here we get our first taste of religion and not in a good sense. See, religion loves to do one of two things. It loves to take away from the word of God or it loves to add to the word of God. The serpent's words here come across as though God is harsh. And once you start to believe that, once you start to doubt God's goodness, it gives you permission to just edge away from his rules and laws and his guidelines and his good purpose for us. If you even touch this fruit, you'll surely die and quick as a flash. Satan has Eve where he wants her. Look at verse four. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan's specialty is serving up not out and out lies, but half truths. They wouldn't die, at least not straight away. But from this point on, death would reign the universe. Have a look at three verse six. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. You can see it. All her senses are tingling. She sees its form, her taste buds water, her mind sharpens its focus. She's actually thinking, I could be like God. I, I could know good and evil. There's something that God hasn't given me that is for my good. She thinks she has a better view of what's good for her than God does. She thinks her version of life is better than God's. And if she didn't eat the fruit, she'd be missing out. How many of us reject the goodness of God because we think we're missing out? Because we think we've got a better view of what's good for us than God does. How many people leave their spouses or lie at work or cheat on their taxes because we think we're missing out and that we want a better way forward? You can imagine Eve, this tree completes me. <laughs> I'm sure that's what she thought. I can have everything. I can be like God. So she took some of its fruit and she ate it. Now, at this point in the story, my question is, where's Adam? <laughs> If he'd been there, I mean, he was the one God directly gave the commandment to, not Eve. Where was Adam at this point? Well, look at verse six. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. He was with her. The man who named the animals was too afraid to name the sin because he too thinks his way is better than God's. And this is what the Bible calls sin. But when we hear that word, we have a problem because what the Bible means when it talks about sin is different to what we often think. Let me ask you now, if you had to define sin, how would you define it? I want to give you a moment to kind of come up with an answer just in your head. What would you say sin is? 
See, for most of us, and I even think for many Christians, we've reduced sin to the idea of doing something we shouldn't do or maybe not doing what we should do. But that's not actually what the Bible says sin is. Doing wrong things, lying, cheating, stealing, murdering, all those things are the symptoms of sin, but not sin themselves. They're the symptoms of a much more central issue, a relational issue, and that is rejecting God as the ruler of the world, rejecting his good and right rule over us and putting ourselves in his place. To see what tempted Adam and Eve, it wasn't the snake. (laughs) Come with me and have a look at verse 4. In fact, God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What they were tempted by was becoming like God. And what they did was become like God. But in what way did they become like God? You know, did they get a hammer like Thor and suddenly be overcome with overwhelming power and be able to do amazing things? No, they knew good and evil. Now, it's not that before this point in time, they didn't know what was right and wrong, what was good and what wasn't. They knew God's word. They knew they weren't to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now they know good and evil in the way that God knows good and evil, not by participating in good and evil. That's not what God does. No, but by determining what is good and what is evil. See, sin, it's not merely law breaking. It's law making. It's saying, I want nothing to do with the God who made me. I reject the idea he exists or even the idea he has any say over my life. Essentially, we we act like little gods. I'll determine how I will live my life. I'll determine what's right and wrong. See, sin is not breaking some arbitrary laws. It's law making. Now, let me show you from some other places in the scriptures. In Romans 5, 13, Paul says this. In fact, sin was in the world before the law. Now, if sin was in the world before the law, it can't be law breaking. Now, come with me um, to 1 John 3, verse 4. 1 John says this, everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. It's saying I'm outside the law. Now, on the 21st of April, 1970, a man by the name of Leonard Kelsey decided to set up his own country in the middle of Western Australia. He he called it the Hutt River Province. And he declared that it was no longer part of Australia. He gave himself the title of a prince. He issued his own currency and stamps. He even made himself his own passport, which by the way, wasn't recognized in any other country on earth. The only reason he got away with it is because it wasn't really a threat to the nation of Australia. He's this eccentric man who ended up being nothing more than a tourist attraction. But what he was saying was, I'm outside the law. He's an outlaw. Now, that might seem harmless to you and me. But let me tell you about a movement called the Sovereign Citizens. They're a global movement who reject any form of taxation and maintain that they're free from any legal constraints. In 2015, the FBI ranked um, their risk of terrorism from the Sovereign Citizen movement as higher than the risk from any other group, including Islamic extremists and neo-Nazis. It wasn't law breaking, but law making. I make 
the law for my life. I'm the master of my own fate and the captain of my own soul. Richard Dawkins, the great uh, promoter of atheism, said this and look for the similarity. We reach out for the search for meaning until we suddenly realize it is we who actually provide the purpose in a universe which otherwise would have none. For Dawkins, the universe has no purpose. So we need to provide it. We take the place of God. And now the whole world has just swallowed this pill. If it feels good, do it. When you remove the creator who loves us and made us, you set yourself up as the ultimate authority in your universe. You make yourself God. And that's what the Bible calls sin. The problem is we get sin mixed up with its symptoms. Now, don't get me wrong. It's the symptoms that make sin visible. But we must understand that the disease, sin itself, is removing God from calling the shots in our life and setting ourselves up as God. It's determining good and evil. The claim of the Bible and the claim of Christianity is that everyone has sinned. All of us have removed God from his position as ruler over us and placed ourselves at the center of the universe. That's the spread of sin. Look look with me at Romans 3 verses 10 to 12. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There's no one who does what is good, not even one. Since our first parents, Adam and Eve, we've all been chips off the old block. We've carried the family likeness. We have been built in us this desire to rule our lives our way without God, contrary to God. Listen to how Paul goes on and how he describes us. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, that sounds pretty offensive, doesn't it? And my first reaction is to go, that's not me. You know, I'm a pretty good person. Let me give you an illustration that might help you understand how wrong this big concept of sin is. I want you to imagine for a moment the best sailor in the world. Imagine you're the best sailor in the world. You're amazing at navigating. You're fantastic to all the other sailors on the ship that you're on. You scrub the decks well. You you kind of get places well. You look after your crew. You're an amazing sailor. And as you look at yourself on the deck of the ship and you look around, you stand back and you go, look, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. But then as the camera pans back and you see the flag flying on the mast of the ship carrying a skull and crossbones, you recognize that the ship you're sailing on is a pirate ship. And all the good that you're doing on the surface of the ship is really done in rebellion against the authority that exists. So really, even the good we try to do, if it doesn't recognize where that fits within God's rule, is rebellion against him and at its heart is abhorrent to God. Rejecting God and placing yourself in his shoes has had disastrous effects. Come with me to Genesis 3 to see the consequences of sin. 
Genesis 3 verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. For the first time in human history, humanity experiences fear. For, for the first time, Adam wanted to walk away from God, to hide behind fig leaves. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. To hide behind fig leaves from God, to hide behind trees God made in a garden God made as though he couldn't find them. It's like a two-year-old who covers their eyes and thinks, you can't see me now, you can't see me. But that's the stupidity of the cover-up. Because it's exactly what we're like. We don't confess our sins to God. We think we can keep them from Him. We don't confess the things that we do wrong to, to others. We don't confess that we've rejected Him and put ourselves on the throne. We, we try and hide what we've done from our, ourselves, from our family, from our friends, but they can all see it all too clearly. When we hide from God and when we hide from one another and when we hide from ourselves, we let sin take root, this rebellion, and we put ourselves on the throne. So that's the usual strategy we use to deal with fear is to try and hide. We try and hide either the symptoms of our sin. We, we lie and cover up and pretend we, and then we just get ourselves into a bigger and bigger mess. Or we hide the reality of the situation. I didn't do anything wrong. I mean, I don't think God exists anyway. Or we hide behind something or someone else that made us do it. You know, it was my parents' fault. I had no other option. Or God shouldn't have made me with the possibility of rejecting him. So it's his fault. Or even Eve's excuse. Satan made me do it. But in Mark chapter 7, Jesus is explicitly clear about where sin comes from. Have a look. Mark chapter 7 verse 18. Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. The problem with the world is me. It's us. It's pretending to be God, determining good and evil for ourselves. Christianity, it's not about being a good enough person. It's not transactional in the sense that our good deeds will be weighed against our bad deeds like Islam does. Now, Christianity says the problem is relational. We've rejected the ruler of the universe and set ourselves up as pretend gods over our own lives. And the consequences of rejecting God's rightful rule over us, they're catastrophic. Look what happens in Genesis 3. Humanity's relationship with creation is broken. Adam here now has to work the garden. The garden is marred by weeds and thistles and it's hard work. Uh, work that was created to be good becomes hard and not profitable. For Eve, childbirth becomes painful. Adam and Eve are then still tasked with filling the earth and ruling it. But when they make themselves God, when they reject his way, it becomes much, much harder for them. Animals aren't 
as they were supposed to be. This, the snake is made to crawl on its belly. There's enmity between the woman and creation. Romans 8.22 tells us that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Earthquakes, natural disaster, tsunami, they are all results of humanity's rebellion. It even affects the world we live in. But it's not only our relationship with creation that's broken. Our relationships, sorry, the relationships between humanity are broken. See, Adam and Eve need to hide themselves from one another. Relationships that was once a relationship of openness and nakedness and, and, and no fear and no shame now is a relationship of hiding from one another, recognizing their vulnerability. Eve's desire will be to rule her husband and tell him what to do and where to go. And Adam's desire will be to domineer his wife. And it only takes eight more verses of the Bible before we come across the first sibling rivalry with Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's children. And Cain kills Abel. It's no wonder that human relationships cause us so much pain. It's because we've placed ourselves in the position of God and we've determined what is the right way to live and act towards one another. And let's be honest, we don't do a good job. Relationship with the Creator is broken. Relationship with one another is broken. But there's something else that's broken. And that is our relationship with God. Look at verse 22 of chapter 3. The Lord God said, Since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword of the east of the garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. To reject the God who gives life is to reject life itself. Adam and Eve are kicked out of the good garden God made. They're removed from access to the tree of life. And that means death becomes inevitable for every human. If you want to remove yourself from God's rule, you're removing yourself from everything God gives. And remember, he's the one who gives and sustains life itself. Why is the world the way it is? Why is there so much pain and brokenness in our world? It's because we've rejected the rule of God. We've made ourselves pretend kings and none of us does a good job of being God because we're not. We can't make a thing. That job is reserved for the one and only true God, the creator of the universe. A number of years ago, I was standing on the sideline of a soccer match and a group of parents were standing there with me discussing a number of the horrific things that have been going on amongst their friends and in the world. Someone's house had burnt down and then there'd been multiple deaths in the same family. It was just horrible. And then one of them turned to me and said, you're a pastor, Rowan. You know, if God's good, why does he allow so much suffering in the world? And I was like, OK, here's my chance. So I explained that the problem with the world was us that we all cause suffering in the lives of others, whether big or small, we all live in a way that causes suffering at some point, And you can't deny that. And if we want God to stop the suffering, we're asking God to stop us. So the reason there's so much suffering 
is because God's giving us time to come to him and recognize that he is God and that we've removed him from being on the throne of, of running the universe and placed ourselves in his place. He's giving us time. And while the suffering goes on, he's providing a solution. In fact, he's provided a solution for the problem of our rejecting him. Now, at that point, I thought I'd said enough, so I stopped and kind of heard what the rest of the group had to say, to which the person who asked the question then replied, you know what, I think the real problem is men. (laughs) Now, it got a bit awkward, given that I was the only guy there, but she was half right, wasn't she? The problem is men and women, for we have all rejected the ruler God, and we've failed to rule ourselves or society or the world. But here's the thing. God won't let this rebellion go on forever. He won't let suffering continue. He's going to do something about that to end the problem of pain and suffering in this world. And in order to see what God will do about this problem, you're going to need to come back next week as we look at week three of what Christians actually believe. Well, as we sit here today, if you've got questions, we'd love to hear them. Text them through and we'll answer them next week in the service. And You can hear them there. Why don't we pray together and thank God that he's been so generous as to allow us to live even while we reject him. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful today that though you have made the world and though we have rejected you as the ruler of the world, you have not ended us right here and right now. We ask that you'd help us to see how wrong it is that we've turned our backs on you. That you'd help us to see your rightful rule as creator of the universe. Lord, we are sorry for turning our backs on you. We are sorry for placing ourselves as king. Show us where we're doing that and help us to put aside ourselves and to put you on the throne of our lives, to come to Jesus who is the solution to the problem, the one who has died in our place and taken the penalty that we deserve. Thank you so much for him. Help us to see our sin and to come to you and trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.